0: From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered podcast. Going to be doing the Wake the Wake Forest preview on the second half of this, but before that, we're going to do a little bit more wrap up of the Clemson game. Went back and took a closer look at that. Uh, My apologies that uh, I was not able to get that preview or that uh, second Clemson episode out, and also uh, I'm still the uh, Clemson. Film study will be posted Friday morning-ish uh, because of uh, some early week voice issues that I had, and then also a couple uh, minor minor emergencies that uh, ultimately took me away from being able to record those. So, I'm gonna gonna do two episodes in one here. Really looking again at the at the Clemson game first. And then uh, at the uh, at the preview of Wake Forest second, might squeeze in a few question and answer things from the mailbag. Got quite a quite a bit this week anyway, so I'll either save those for the next episode or or squeeze a few of them in. Might might do a little bit of both. But uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get right to it. Before I start, I want to thank the first sponsor. That's EPR Creations. EPR Creations, Partners with Small Businesses for Website Development and Online Strategy Planning. They're the ones who helped me put together the the ShowTheSafeties.com website for that uh, petition. If you haven't signed the petition, you need to sign the petition. Very affordable prices. The best in the business when it comes to making sure that your website is properly done, that you have some excellent internet marketing, that you're your name is going to be out there. If you have any need to improve your, your product or improve your internet marketing, give EPR creations a call. Let them know you heard about them from the unconquered podcast. All that information is in the show notes. Okay. So going back to the Clemson game, there are a few, a few things that stood out when I went back and took a look at it. Uh, the first thing is, is that Trevor Lawrence, was much healthier in this game than he had been when I'd seen him two weeks earlier uh, at at UNC. And also, uh, a couple games prior to that, he had not played super well and and had missed some throws. He missed some throws against UNC that, from the box, I I was really surprised that he just didn't stick it in there. And against Florida State, he didn't really miss a whole lot of throws. Uh, He he was accurate throughout was able to, to, to hit some, some balls that were, especially on second watch were really impressive throws. Uh, so, you know, they, they earned that and, and, you know, that's what you, that's what you get when you play against a real life elf at quarterback, when, when they've got that, it's, it's really hard to, uh, to compete just because of the natural accuracy of, of elves and, you know, the Noldar are, uh, an unusual, unusually gifted when it comes to to putting things on, on, uh, you know, on, on the spot. And he, he, he's as good as any of them with that. So that's number one. And, and, you know, the shoulder that he had had, the shoulder problems that he had had, if Florida State had played him when he was struggling a little bit more with that, it'd been interesting to see, because I, I think the secondary did play uh, better in this game then they'd played through a good portion of the year to this point. This might have been the best that they've played as a secondary against the pass. It's just that they played a, a an offense, a pass offense that's that much better than anybody else that they'd played as well. So that that's number 1 is that they they really executed in the passing game and Lawrence just stood out as much healthier than he'd been in the prior month. So the the, the bye week really helped them there. Number 2 is Clemson obviously treated this as a rivalry game treated this as a uh as an opportunity where they knew that Florida State is the one team on their schedule that has the talent to challenge them across the board on defense and elsewhere and basically they've been sort of scraping by on base stuff against a lot of teams they 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 had a bunch of tendency breakers in this one First half. I mean, even, look at how they came out in that first drive. They came out with multiple tendency breakers, with a couple little trick plays. You got the the double pass there, the, or the uh, the uh, halfback pass there. You've got several things that they did to cause some problems and get Florida State off balance to get that early lead. And, and you could see that they felt like if they got an early lead and got Florida state down, then they could, they could have th- th- this game would be very different. And and they were right. And they did a really, really good job of, of, of basically changing that. So, uh, so fl- what Florida state had prepared for defensively, they, they countered a lot of what you would, you would have prepared for coming into this game just because they, uh, they they found some ways to uh to to zig when Florida State was was playing the zag because of what they'd shown over the course of the year so far. So uh so that that's worth noting and that's part of why Florida State's defense early on in the first half in particular was so off balance. I mean they the first two touchdowns that they scored were really on counters to their normal tendencies. They they went to their big game packages it's the stuff that they've broken out against Alabama and in the college football playoff uh as opposed to the stuff that they'd been running over the course of uh the season. Now that's not the and it's not necessarily the exact same counters. The point is that they had the big game playbook out for this one not the uh not the not the playbook that they've used for basically everybody else and you know that's that's worth noting. The third thing is that other than Janarius Robinson, Florida State at this point just doesn't have edge players against the run. I mean, you've got, you've got guys that can do their job. If their job is to be a warm body and to make sure that you are at least playing some contain and forcing, forcing the ball inside a little bit, then yeah, they've got, they've got that. But if we're talking about somebody who's actually going to make a play, who's going to take on a, a, a puller or take let's say you pull two guys with the, uh, with, with power a lot of times that that edge guy is supposed to crash that and take out both, both blockers. And right now that's, that's not happening unless Janarius Robinson's on the field. I mean, basically you're getting a guy that might take out one of them, but he's not taking out, he's not submarining both and, and spilling it. And, uh, and that's the sort of thing that, that you're seeing here. And they just, they don't have the personnel on the edge right now with Kando out with, uh, Lars would be out with some of the guys that they, that, that, they could have on the edge. They just they're they're young and they're not as talented as they need to be. And they need to have some edges. They need to get some edges on 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 the field might be a place where getting a a quality juco wouldn't be a bad idea coming in for next year. Uh, But they need to get healthy and they need to get those guys from from uh, back from injury next year. And uh, and they need to add a couple of edge guys. I mean, they've got a couple nice ones that are coming in as freshmen. It's unclear how ready they'll be initially but uh, they're going to have to get a lot. uh, They're going to have to improve pretty significantly there. The fourth thing is I thought defensively Florida state stayed in their base cover four or cover eight, depending on terminology, how you, how you want to call it uh, because cover eight is where you're going to have the wider uh, edge guys that are, that are playing in that underneath zone. That's, that's a distinction that some coaches make, but, I thought they stayed in that base coverage too much defensively, going back and looking at what u n c did u n c used a lot of split field coverages they they would say go palms on one side and cover four on the other. they would go four three they would uh, they would show uh, cover two match and then come down into a cover three look on a on a field or boundary reduction. They did a lot of variation to make sure that the elf. Just did not have a clean pre snap read in this uh, in the secondary that they that that Clemson couldn't just say, Oh, they're in this, and then run something that would go against that. Well, Florida State did a lot less in terms of disguise, and basically, when you show the elf in pre snap what you're running, it's going to be a lot harder, and also running that cover four, cover eight stuff is you're putting your, your corners a lot of times in that outside leverage position. And and Clemson took advantage of that in being able to hit on the inside against, uh, against that. That's a tough leverage situation for, for the corners. And, and I thought Florida state would have done, would have, would have been better off with a little more disguise and a little more coverage variation there. Uh, similar to what UNC had done, but again, you have to be able to do it. And, with a shorthanded coaching staff on the defensive side and uh, some of the other issues that they've had, I'm not sure they'd be able to. So, uh, but I thought overall the secondary executed, they played well. They just, they, they played against a, a group of receivers, probably the second best group of receivers and, and the, and the best quarterback in the country. And, uh, and Clemson was able to uh, to cause some problems there. I do think also that Clemson fixed a lot of what they struggled against or struggled with against UNC uh in terms of UNC gave them problems with some stemming of of the fronts and with uh with some of that disguise they gave them some problems with by, by playing over the over the top of those receivers and and doing some things to force Lawrence to to win throwing that ball inside and uh and in terms of just recognition quick recognition and I thought where Florida state did employ some of the same stuff. I thought Clemson did a better job against it. They fixed some of what they struggled with. And, you know, that's one of those things where playing Clemson off of the, the, the close loss against UNC was, it was kind of the worst time that they could play him. So, you know, whereas Carolina was able to get them, was able to get Clemson, maybe looking a little ahead, a little bit banged up, especially with Lawrence and his, and his busted wing, and uh or bruised wing you could say and then uh you know clearly not a game that they've got circled on the calendar and then you got florida state facing them after they should have lost that game off a off a bye week with you know much healthier quarterback and full attention giving this rivalry game attention game circled it's a very different situation and you could see the difference in terms of preparation for Clemson there without question. Uh so yeah. Um offensively <laughs> well, Clemson still is not as good at defensive tackle as they've been and those defensive tackles aren't great, but man Florida State's offensive line made them look a lot better than they are. And you know, I like Lucas at 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 guard, but there were times where you could see he was a freshman in terms of strength against some of those those a little bit older Clemson defensive tackles—they're not elite guys that they've like they've had before, but they're they're guys that can play uh, and guys that have been developed. And they didn't—they weren't pushing them around. And what you did see is you did see Brady Scott get pushed around. You did see Babyon Johnson get pushed around. And when you've got your left guard and your your center in the backfield a lot. Well, that's going to be that's going to be tough sledding. And it was just a tough night uh, or a tough day for uh, for for Cam Akers because of that, because you you, it was it was critical. We talked about this in the pre in the pregame episode. If you're going to beat Clemson, you have to be able to to take advantage of those of that guard of your uh, guard center guard area. You've got to take advantage of those defensive tackles, which is what North Carolina was able to do. Florida State. They just were not able to do that. They they got manhandled at center and at right gu- and at left guard. I thought those two struggled in particular, and uh, and then of course the offensive tackles are an abomination. So uh, that you know once you end up in the uh, in the in the passing situations and long yardage, you're just not going to win on that. As I mentioned, you know as we talked about again on the on the pre pregame when you have Xavier uh, Thomas. One on one against either of those tackles, it's over. You, you you've got no shot, uh, and you know that's that's how that played out. So the offensive line really really limited what Florida State was able to do because they just weren't able to get the the kind of run game between the between the guards that they needed to get in this. And and that that if anything was probably the most surprising or disappointing thing is that Florida State's l- lesser weakness on the offensive line is, is at that guard center guard spot. And they, they were, they got manhandled there uh, over the course of the game. And some of that is, is due to Venables still being a bit of a wizard when it comes to run blitz timing and his calls and all that. He, they, they, they were able to anticipate they, they, they had Florida state, Florida state and and Kendall Bryles tendencies pretty well figured out in this one. And if Venables knows exactly what you're going to run and is able to stunt right into it, is able to run blitz right into it and they did a lot of uh of weak side blitzes that allowed the defensive line to stunt or slant to the uh strong side where uh, where you know the run action is going to go to that that side well now you're you're causing some problems for the way that that Florida State is blocking that uh and you're you're getting your one-on-one matchups that you want and you're you're winning those over and over and over again so good job by Venables in terms of of stopping that run on early downs and Florida State just couldn't once you're once they were behind the chains, it was over each drive, so you know they got off schedule, and that was it uh, all that said really the other the other thing offensively is Florida State still has no quarterbacks on the roster that can run this offense really that that's a problem and yeah that neither quarterback looked even even close to competent. Uh, I thought this was where you could see Blackman kind of implode a little bit uh and a situation where you could see how uncomfortable he is right now first of all he's not fully healthy you could see that just in in his gait. but i think this is a this is a guy who who is doing everything he can he's trying hard to win and he's just frustrated because there's he 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 feels like there's no he has no control of what's going on and also is struggling with his accuracy and so you, you start to press and you have some problems and then you've got Hornybrook, who just again it's the book on him he's he's played you've got 40 plus games of of background you've got a a long track record uh there where he if he's under a lot of pressure he's going to give the ball to the other team he's going to make some inaccurate throws and that's what he did in this one i mean the, the interception that he had when he was targeting uh harrison that's probably a touchdown uh Blackman missed Acres on a on a wheel route, a, a little bus route, a back up the sideline route. That uh, that probably scores if he has even a modicum of touch on that ball. I mean, it's not a difficult throw at all. That's two easy touchdowns, and you can make a case for at least one more that should have been a touchdown that was missed. And you know, you're looking at all of a sudden you got three scores there. That this game you lose by 31, and yeah, it wasn't as close as the score as the final score, but suddenly you're, you're in a ball, you're in the ball game, especially if you hit that one early to, to Harrison, you're in the ball game and you, you feel like you've got a little momentum, you gain some confidence and suddenly the game is, is very different. Uh, But that's why Clemson spent so much time and effort, really crafting a plan to knock Florida state out in the first round. And that's really what they did. And, you know, at the end of the day, Florida State has to be able to execute and make some of those big plays in order to prevent getting knocked out early. And and they didn't do that. And a lot of that goes back to when you've got poor quarterback play behind poor offensive line play that you're, you're shot. Poor quarterback play or quarterback play, quality quarterback play can often mitigate poor offensive line play you you can you can if you have a really good quarterback behind a bad offensive line you can still win the, you can still win a lot you can still have a lot of offensive success and then quality offensive line play can help mitigate poor offensive poor quarterback play because you can run the ball and put your quarterback in better situations and and you're protecting your quarterback making sure that there's fewer problems but it's a it's a force multiplier when you have a bad quarterback behind a bad offensive line. And that's really where Florida State is. They don't have a quality quarterback uh, that, that or they, they haven't had quality quarterback play all season and they don't have quality offense. And we've known from the beginning that they, they don't have a quality offensive line. And you combine that and you're going to get an offensive line that looks even worse than it is. And you're going to get a quarterback that looks even worse than he is. That's that's the way this works. And so, you know, this is uh, this is the the problem that Florida State has is you've got to fix the two most important spots on your offense at once. And, you know, the, the big issue is that they don't have tackles at, on the offensive line. They, they they've got to fi- fix that. They've got to figure that out before next year. Uh, and to me, the, they've got one one guy on this roster has a chance to be a really, really good offensive lineman. And again, you can watch at the end of the Clemson game and just watch him move around. Look at the, look at the length, look at how he moves, look at the bend and you go, yep, that guy that looks like actually Rod Johnson is, uh, is, is probably the, uh, uh, probably the closest physical comparison, but it's a Cam Irving type situation. The kid has to make the move and that's, uh, Malcolm Lamar. He's he's not going to be an elite defensive defensive lineman, but he has a chance to be that as an offensive lineman. You, if you can get that kid to switch sides of the ball and suddenly play tackle, that's equivalent to me of getting pretty close to a five star offensive tackle recruit in terms of frame, in terms of movement, in terms of ability. If you get him, if you can get Malcolm Lamar to move from defensive line, where again he's not going, he's not Marvin. He's not. Uh, he's not Marvin Wilson. He's not Corey Durden. He's not one of those guys that's going to be special, special there. That you know is a, a potential day one, day two NFL draft pick. But he might be that at offensive tackle. He, I think he's going to end up getting passed up by a couple of the younger guys behind him at defensive line. But at offensive tackle, I think he starts day one next year. It's a Cam Irving type switch where you know Irving could have played defensive tackle and probably been pretty decent but at uh, at offensive line he's a first rounder and and I think Malcolm Lamar is is the guy they've got to recruit this is the second time they've got they've had to recruit him but the coaching staff has to re- manage to win over Malcolm Malcolm Lamar to make that move because I mean I think f- physically when you look at the traits and all of that you're looking at a guy that could be a 10 year pro at offensive tackle just because of, you're talking about plus movement, plus length, plus everything, plus bend, all of that, there and, and no minuses. He's, he's all of, physically, all of the things that you look for at that position. And then it's just a matter of basically learning to play the position. But if you already have that level of athlete at that position, it doesn't take very long. And, you know, to me, that's the thing, that's the most important recruit. You can make the case that that's Florida State's most important recruit for next year is managing to get Malcolm Lamar to move from the offense or from the defensive side to the offensive side so that they can shore up one of the tackles. Cause I think he's your best, best, uh, best tackle. So in any case, uh, that's, that's sort of where the Clemson game wound up. I think, you know, they, they could have been significantly closer, but the reasons that they weren't are precisely why they're not, an especially good football team. I mean, the, the game played out more or less as it should have given the gap between the teams at the, at the most important positions. So fair enough, right? All right. Well, before we move over to the wake forest uh, preview, I want to go ahead and thank my second sponsor. And that is Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Louis is a trained photographer and videographer, which is especially important now that about 90% of home buyers search online first. So you'd better have a good online marketing plan if you're going to list a house. If you're in the greater Jacksonville area and you're thinking about listing your house, you need to give Lewis a call at 850-443-5797. Email him at lewismarquez at lewismarquez@kw.com. Tell him you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast and he'll take care of a couple extras he'll throw in. He'll make sure that you're especially taken care of as an FSU fan and as a listener of this podcast. And then if you're in the market to buy, do the same thing. Get Lewis a give Lewis a call. And uh he'll outwork everybody. So let him know you heard about him from the from the podcast. And like I said, he'll he'll make sure you're you're taken care of. All right. So looking forward to Wake. Well, Wake is this is gonna be an interesting game, I th- I think for sure. And and this is the second game where I've I've already watched North Carolina play this team, so and and had to break down a lot of film on that. I'm actually gonna post a couple of videos of what I did in the post-game for North on North Carolina on the uh Patreon page, but, uh, the, uh, the Wake Forest offense and defense, they do some different stuff and, and, and it'll be interesting to see again, how Florida state is able to handle some of those things, given what I saw earlier in the year. So first and foremost, the Wake Forest offense is, is, is the real, that's, that's what they, they do differently than anybody else. I mean, they're Paul Johnson level unique in what they do. Uh, they, they have, Basically, what they did is they decided that they're going to respond to the way that defenses have had begun to play the read option stuff, the RPO stuff. By what what it's called on the defensive side is muddying the read. So, you, what you do is you you try to play kind of in between what the quarterbacks' read keys are, so that the quarterback has to hesitate just a little bit, and then maybe the quarterback makes makes a bad decision and maybe you you don't have a guy that's going to be wrong no matter what he chooses. Well what what Wake Forest did is they basically decided to lean into that. Okay, you're going to muddy the read. Well we're just going to delay and delay and delay and we'll we'll hold the read until you make a decision and then you're going to be wrong. So th- there've been plays this year where the the quarterback is still riding the mesh point he still has the ball in the in the in the running back's belly and they're like a yard and a half 2 yards into the into the hole like they're still they still haven't made the read because he's just working forward with him and then all of a sudden you have to tackle that front guy and now he's a lead blocker effectively and the quarterback tucks it and or pulls it and tucks it and 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 gets another 3 4 yards and this is a way to really first of all frustrate a defense because you don't know who has the ball at any given point. And th- they'll do the same thing with those with the RPO game where they'll hold that read, hold that read, hold that read, keeping an eye on your backers. And if you trigger it all, they're throwing it right behind you. But if you don't trigger, they're 2 yards into the uh, into the into the hole before you can ever trigger. So this is a problem to defend and you know, for a team that can't recruit the kind of athletes that other teams in the ACC can, this is, this is again, like I said, it's a Paul Johnson style situation where they're, they're, they're forcing you to defend things differently than anybody else. And it gives, it gives its own problems. And given Florida state's weaknesses, I mean, Florida state has some problems on the edge, as I mentioned, and they have some problems at linebacker. Well, well, that just happens to be the places where Wake Forest is going to take most advantage of the defense. So in terms of offensively, this is not not what you want to face. If you are if you're Florida State, you, this is exactly the kind of offense you, you really don't want to have to to, to play against. I mean, and, and to top that off, they're going to keep doing this delay, 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 pull, delay, 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 pull throw. You know, these they're going to keep doing that over and over and over again. And then they're going to do it on quick tempo. They they run as they, they run as fast a tempo as any team in the country. They run as fast a tempo as Florida State's offense. And beyond that, they'll use that. I mean, one of the touchdowns they got against North Carolina was a real cheapie because they'll go quick tempo. They'll snap it. On that play, they they what they did is they went unbalanced. They had an ineligible receiver in the slot that you have to know that he's covered, but They're snapping it with 33 seconds left on the clock. And so you don't have time to communicate as a secondary. So now you're having to worry about covering him. And while you're worried about covering him, you've got a little pump and go double move on the inside. The safety's trying to figure out which guy he's responsible for. And they got a long touchdown just because you had to accommodate, you had to account for the weird formation thing that they threw at you at extremely high tempo. And they're going to always have, three or four different rounds in the chamber for the right time and around midfield, you'd better be careful because they're going to go up tempo and they're going to throw something weird at you and you'd better be able to respond quickly in the secondary and at linebacker and and communicate or you're going to suddenly give up a big play. And that's just what they do. So not only do they use tempo to to exhaust you up front, but they're going to use tempo to cause some confusion in the secondary and just periodically throw something at you that you just haven't seen. And they're going to do that at you know, snapping the ball at 35 seconds left on the, on, on the play clock. It's uh, it's, it's insane how fast they go sometimes. And the other thing that they'll do is with what they're doing with the delayed read with that extended mesh point they're double teaming so much inside. I mean, it's, it's veer blocking a bunch where you're double teaming with the guard in the, in the center and you're double teaming with the other guard and the tackle, or you're double teaming with the tackle and the, and and the tight end or the H back. They're doing a bunch of double teams on those interior linemen so that you can't just get the one-on-ones and get penetration. They're going to try to minimize the penetration you can get from those from that front front three by a bunch of double teams. And they're going to force you on the edge and at linebacker to have to, be able to make those plays against the mesh point and again that's not what you want to see if you're if you're florida state and i have a suspicion here that there are going to be stretches of this game where wake forest is going to run the ball infuriatingly well it's one of those things like oh my gosh really like how how do they keep getting three and a half four yards but they're going to keep doing it and the one, the one thing, the one place where Florida state might have an edge here is that it's not clear that Jamie Newman, the, the quarterback for, for wake forest is going to play. I, I think Florida state staff is actually kind of expecting that he doesn't, they have prepared for both quarterbacks, but if Newman doesn't play, that's a big, big help to Florida state's defense defense because Sam Hartman, listen, he's a good quarterback. He he's the guy that they played against last year and he's a better thrower than Newman. But what Newman does is he's a six foot four, two hundred and thirty pound quarterback, and he's he's a basically, I mean he's a poor uh, a homeless person's Tebow in terms of what he gives you as a runner. Where when they run that delayed mesh stuff and all that, he's going to just break a bunch of tackles, fall forward, and you got four or five yards. And Hartman can't quite do that. They're going to have to RPO more with him and and throw a little bit more, in order to have success with Hartman. Although he's not a bad runner but it's just, it's, it's a different thing. So if you're, if, if Newman plays in this and is remotely healthy, that's a much bigger concern for Florida state in my view, because of the weaknesses that Florida state has defensively and where those weaknesses fall. Uh, and then the other thing is not only are they going to have some success running the football that way, but they've got some pretty good players at, at, at receiver Sage Surratt, six foot three, about 220 pound receiver on the outside has played as well as any receiver in the, in the conference. I mean, he's, He's getting some discussion as uh, uh, among the media as a potential ACC Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, so far, you know through that through the first half of the season, he's probably the ACC Offensive Player of the Year. So, you know that's a problem, uh, and he's going to be a big downfield threat. He will go right over top of you, and this is one where <laughs> with what Clemson's receivers did a couple times to Florida State's smaller corners, you look at as good as Asante Samuel is he's going to have some trouble. He's going to have his hands full with Surratt because Surratt's just going to post him up and, you know, he won't run away from him, but he will cause some problems and go right over top of you. And, uh, and just physically, he's a real problem. He's a mismatch there. And they may have to put one of the bigger young corners on the field just to, to handle him at times, because you can't just have Stanford Samuels, shadow him the whole game because Scotty Washington on the other side isn't a bad one A either. He's six, five. And again, a guy that's probably going to play, at least get it, you know, go through the drive through in the NFL. So you got two, two, two receivers that are probably going to get some time in the NFL right there. And then at the slot, they've got the former quarterback, Kendall Hinton, who, for what it's worth from Southern Durham, where I used to coach Uh, Kendall Hinton, former quarterback there. He's a horse at the slot. I mean, he, he's basically, he's built like a tailback, but runs, you know, in the four or five range and is really, really quick and can cause some problems for you in the slot. And you've, you've got to be able to tackle him. And, and it's, they're, they're pretty good offensively. They're going to they're gonna give you some problems and they may run a hundred plays in this game. I mean, with the tempo that both offenses want to run, this, this, there might be 18 possessions in this game they're going to get their opportunities to 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 run some plays so the defense is going to have to get them off the field and I'm not sure how well they're going to be able to do that. So that's the concern on the Wake offense side. Now defensively, you you look at what they do and and at personnel and you say, well, you know, Florida State should be able to score some points because they're not that big up front. They are they run more of an odd front look, but they're a one gap team and I mean, they're similar in some ways to what UVA does in terms of their, their, their scheme, same similar also to what Louisville does in terms of their scheme, but they are really quick and they slant a ton. They, uh, they, they do a bunch of stunts. They will, uh, they, they're going to insert backers in, in, uh, in, in run blitzes and all of that from different angles and, and play with your blocking scheme stuff. And the real concern is that is, is not so much that they can, that they're going to win one-on-ones with your offensive line, which I'm sure they will because it's Florida state's offensive line. But the pro- what gave UNC fits is the unblocked players. If you don't communicate really well, and you're maybe just a tiny bit slow a foot, you're going to, you're going to give up some free runners and you're going to have unblocked players in the backfield. Because that's just what they do—they scheme up some unblocked players, and that's that's not good for for a Florida State offensive line that has had some issues there over the past couple of years. And you know, UNC was able to block Clemson a lot better than uh, than Florida State was, and Wake Forest gave UNC's offensive line fits. So that's not good, Bob. Uh, you know, it's not not ideal. And that's something that they're going to have to make sure if you're, if you're Florida state's uh, coaching staff on the offensive side, Clements and and Bryles, they're going to have to make sure that you know, who's coming from where, you know, who's stunting from where, and you got to make sure that you're, that you're blocking that, that guy on the edge. Cause there were a number of times where North Carolina runs a lot of the same little power stuff with some, with some poles and double teams and all that. And you'd have two guys not blocking anybody. And then, one Wake Forest guy or two Wake Forest guys come in completely clean because they, they do a lot scheme-wise up front to get, to cause some problems. But the thing is, if you get your hands on them, they're not that big. They can be bullied, but you have to get to them. You have to know where they're going to be. Now, secondary-wise, I, I don't think their corners are that are, are, are anything special. I think they'll give up some big plays. I mean, you can find, if you can if you can manage to protect long enough to do it, there's some plays to be made there. I mean, UNC had some some plays on the back end. You you you, you know they either the problem is that they either got so much pressure that Howell didn't have time to, to to hit it, or he just didn't pull the trigger. I mean, he's he's still a true freshman, but there there was there were some plays to be made in the secondary for UNC. And once UNC sort of took the uh, the the governor off of Howell in the fourth quarter, you could see that there were a lot of plays to be made downfield in the passing game. But you've got to be able to pull the trigger and you've got to be able to throw it accurately. And if you looked at the Clemson or at the uh, Louisville game, there were plays to be made downfield in the passing game by Louisville. But again, you've got to be able to block them well enough to make sure that your quarterback can set that up. And then you've got to get good quarterback play and some quality throws to be able to do that, because they will force you to make some quality throws. But the the big plays are there if you can do it. What they do really well is come up and tackle well on the on the edge against bubbles and and screens like that. They've got a couple quality safeties. They're kind of hybrid players that are really good in the open field. They're very aggressive and they're going to come downhill and make some tackles, uh, against, against your slots and against, against those, those, uh, screens. To me, if I'm Bryles, I'm trying to take advantage of how aggressive coming downhill those guys are and maybe try to slip a a couple double moves to, to my slots and that sort of thing, uh, over the top, because you're not going to get as much. I don't think with your slots breaking tackles or or breaking a guy down in the open field as as what you might against some other teams. But you might be able to get some some double moves and some cheap cheap touchdowns on uh, on a few little things there uh, if you can execute it and the quarterback makes that throw. So so that's really to me you've got to have some some things built in for some cheap big plays to make sure that you're going to score along with what they're going to do. So in terms of expectations in this one, well, you know, number one, I think Florida State, they're, they're going to need to have some success on the ground and, and and make sure that they're in advantageous leverage to be able to take advantage of some of those, those plays down the field. This is a game though where I, I'm probably throwing it more on first down than I have in recent weeks because of Basically, they're going to have to commit to stopping the run because they're not that big. And that's just what they do. They commit to stopping the run with some additional stunting and, and bringing some run blitzes and all that. And you got to be able to hit that downfield. you got to hit it right in the teeth. And if you do that, you can score some points against this Wake Forest defense. So to me, I think that's what you got to do. And then you've got to have success on the ground in second and ten. When, you're, when you do have some incompletions there and all that, you've got to be able to have some success in the ground to be able to sustain some drives. You've, you, you can't let them run 150 plays. You've got to be able to run. You want to run 100 plays yourself. You've got to sustain some drives, and, uh, and that's, going to be, that's going to be critical. Now, on defense, really, you have to play very aggressively against their running game you have to continue to hit that quarterback you've got to if need be you've got to single those receivers on the outside and play a little bit over the top don't let them get over the top of you but force if it's Newman especially at quarterback force him to to execute down the field with precision passing cuz he's not real accurate but he will throw a pretty deep ball once in a while don't let them win either in by running success rate you know 60% success rate in the running game or by just going over the top of you with your with their big receivers, force them to beat you in the intermediate passing game. That's what you got to do. You've got to force that execution. And you know if you can do that, then you got a chance. I think to to cause them some problems. Now Hartman is better executing in that intermediate zone, so you you, you better have prepared for both guys. But that's that's where things go in terms of my predictions here. I think Florida State's offense should average around six, maybe a little bit more yards per play in this game. I mean, I think the the plays are there to be made against, against Wake Forest, but I also think the defense is probably going to give up 5.5 yards per play or more. I think this game's pretty close to a coin flip. I mean, this is, this is nearly 50, 50 odds in terms of who's going to win this game. Uh, I, I think this is pretty close to a coin flip. I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go homer on this one. I'm gonna say Florida State wins 34-31. They should win this game. But I have zero surprise if that goes if that gets reversed. So I think this is pretty close to a coin flip. And I, I've got Florida State winning a game in the low 30s. But we'll see. Before we go, I want to thank my third sponsor, and that is Garage Makeovers. Top-rated garage remodeling company in South Florida. If you are in Palm Beach or Broward County and you have any need for Painting and drywall work, overhead storage, polyaspartic flooring, cabinet, shelving, slot wall, anything else in your garage, call Nathan at Garage Makeovers. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Also want to thank my patrons above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, and Bert Bertoldi. I'm going to go ahead and take care of a bunch of question and answer stuff early next week. Uh, if you have any other questions, submit them, especially through the Patreon site, and uh, we will... Uh, I'll make sure to answer whatever you, whatever you got um, on the next pod, but uh, next non hot takes pod. But until the hot takes pod, this has been the unconquered podcast. I'm Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.